It's free agency Friday. Which free agents in the AFC South may interest the Seahawks when the new league year opens on March 16th? Nick Lee and I are going to be examining a number of different options on our latest offering of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's free agency Friday. We're going to be answering your questions in our weekly mailbag and taking a close look at the AFC South So the Texans, the Jaguars, the Titans, the Colts, which free agents from those four teams may interest the Seahawks as we head towards the beginning of the new league year on March 16th. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. It's weird to say the letters USFL and not be thinking that it's a history lesson because if you are a longtime football fan, the USFL back in the early 80s, maybe the minor league the, the spring league that gave the NFL the greatest run for its money, at least the first couple years it was in existence. You had players like Jim Kelly, Herschel Walker, Steve Young that signed mega deals with the USFL to play spring football. It was a lot of fun the first couple of years. And then after season three, for reasons we're not going to dive into, it ended up folding. And here we are now in 2022 and the USFL is returning it, reincarnated. I don't believe as many teams, but they just had their expansion draft a few days ago, and a number of former Seahawks were selected by, and I'm just going to admit right now, a lot of teams that have really weird names that don't fit with their locations. It's like the Los Angeles Lakers just in XFL or USFL terms. We're talking the Michigan Panthers, for example. Where can you find a Panther in Michigan? I would love somebody in the state of Michigan to show me where you can find one of those in that state. But nonetheless, I digress. Several Seahawks were selected in this. I'm looking forward to it because I'm one of the few football purists out there that actually really enjoys when these expansion leagues open. And I was really pulling for the XFL a couple years ago. I think that incarnation of the XFL would still be rolling if not for the COVID-19 pandemic coming in the middle of the season and forcing them to close up shop. But now the USFL is going to be given a shot. The XFL is going to try again next year under new management with the rock being one of the owners of the league. And so here we are, we've got eight teams. They did a snake draft picking by position per round and a number of Seahawks got picked. Most notably Alex Magoo being selected sixth overall in the first round by the Birmingham Stallions. They're well-represented. They have three former Seahawks on their roster. Yeah, those Stallions, they got Alex Magoo, who I guess he's not going to be Russell Wilson's heir apparent after all. Um, And then you got uh, the two Bryans, Brian Allen and Brian Mills, are Birmingham Stallions as well, going in the 8th and 10th rounds, uh, respectively. You got Isaiah Battle in there, another name that that, uh, fans may know from recent years. Terry Poole, another one, and then, uh, one of my personal favorites, you know, his long stop in Seattle, very effective, very, uh, very prolific uh, NFL career, Paxton Lynch. <laughs> uh, and I, of course, dripping with sarcasm. But yeah, that's 
Uh, but, you know, this is what this this league is for, you know, and, and fans can tune in for whatever reason they want. I, I'm I'm kind of a skeptic. I was very skeptic about what, what was it, the American Football Alliance or whatever that was a couple years ago. I was just happy that they had the San Diego fleet just because there's a San Diego football team and that that didn't that didn't uh, turn out very well. And XFL. Yeah, I totally agree. Corbin and I um, both went to um, sat together for a Seattle Dragons game. Still got my T-shirt. Um, from the XFL a couple years ago, really bummer. And because I agree, some of the stuff there, and I, I, I truly believe that the stuff like this can succeed if um, they, they kind of partner with the NFL a little bit as like a developmental and kind of experimental, kind of like how uh, like the Cape Cod League and the independent leagues in baseball kind of go like they're going to get automated strike zones first. They're going to get, you know, the base, the bigger bases, the, the pitch clocks and all that stuff before Major League Baseball does and that kind of thing. And I, I, I think that's a good approach. Um, but as far as, you know, Seahawks fans interest, yeah, there's some guys to watch. And if you just like football and we all, especially with, we'll get to this later, especially if there's a one less sport going on this spring, you might as well tune into the USFL. <laughs> now, the USFL, they might be the one league that's saying, Hey, Rob Manfred, keep playing hardball with major league baseball, because that's going to make it that more people are going to tune in to watch our product because they're deprived of sports. And so that certainly is a topic right now uh, that's worth discussion as they head into their first season. But they've got some interesting coaches in this league. I believe Lou Holtz is actually coaching one of these teams in this USFL league. And they've got players like Alex Magoo. And we get to see some of the flashes in the preseason. He made some really nice throws in his few years in Seattle in preseason games. But then he would turn around and he would throw a Brett Favre type interception that would make you want to butt your head against a brick wall. And he did it over and over again. He didn't learn from those mistakes. And so there's always been good physical tools there. It just didn't come together. The Seahawks went with Geno Smith, a proven veteran, a former second round pick as their backup instead. And so this is a chance for Magoo to get some actual game reps, which he did not get any regular season reps in the NFL Spent a little bit of time with the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. One name on this list that I want to give some props to is Terry Poole. As you mentioned, former tackle that the Seahawks drafted. I believe he was out of San Diego State, actually, from your neck of the woods. And he was a fourth-round selection for the Seahawks back in 2015. So it's been a while back. And he had injuries, never played in a regular season game. After a couple of years, the Seahawks, you now we're moving on from you. But he played in that Alliance Football League a few years ago. He has played in the XFL. I mean, this guy has not given up. He has continued to take every opportunity he's had to play, even if it's not the NFL. He has kept his career going playing in these fleeting leagues and he's going to try it again here in this new incarnation of the USFL. So credit to him. I always love those stories too. I think that there's a place in this league for players like that. Some may argue, hey, this is a developmental league. Just go get guys out of college, really young guys that maybe have a fighting chance to use this to propel themselves to the NFL. But players like Terry Poole still belong in this league as well. Guys that really love the game of football and they want to keep playing and are good enough to play in this league. I liked seeing a guy like that keep getting opportunities. And he was one of the better linemen in that Alliance football league a few years ago. And so we'll see what he can bring to the table. I believe he's now in his thirties getting to be a little older player, but get another opportunity. You only get so many of those, a chance to play professional football. Why not? Yeah. And then also you got guys that maybe are, are not quite past their prime that might just need another shot or they've, 
you know, they've developed something and who knows, maybe they impress and they, they can find themselves on an NFL roster next fall or, and I'm not quite sure how the contractual stuff works out. Um, I, I, to be very, very honest, I have not dove in very deep into the USFL's details. Um, but you know, you, last year you had a guy like PJ Walker, who was a quarterback for who was at the Houston Roughnecks or Rednecks or something, or ref, rough, Roughnecks. 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 <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden finds himself on, on the Carolina Panthers roster. So, you know, um, they become desperate for quarterbacks. And so, you know, this is just another way for guys to, to get exposure. Yeah. Maybe not a guy like pool who probably is, is past his prime, probably, we're going to running out of shots at the NFL, but other guys um, really this, this could be a, uh, their, their last chance to really stick and, and press NFL scouts and, and, and jump to the NFL once again. Um, just another way for NFL. Also the NFL also to, to look at you know, the teams to look at who they can sign out of desperation when injuries hit or uh, just guys for, for camp, you know, this is, and so, you know, we all love football. So bring it on. The one name on this list that might have a fighting chance to turn this into another NFL opportunity is Brian Mills, who came out of North Carolina Central just last year and was an undrafted player, played at the Senior Bowl. So was a very good college player, came in light, not, not a super strong player. I think he had two bench press reps. So this is a guy that needs time to continue developing into his body. They cut him midway through training camp, but he's got some NFL traits, and so getting on the field and playing against other professional football players because he's a very young player, that could be the type of player that uses this to catapult himself, at least back to another training camp in the NFL next fall. And so, like I said, it's football. I don't know how much I'll be watching, but if there's no baseball, I can guarantee I will be watching some of these games. And they always are looking for guys that might be diamonds in the rough. And it would be a cool story to see one of those guys end up turning into a solid NFL player down the line. So we'll see what happens. We're going to answer our mailbag questions here in a moment. We've been moving these to Thursdays and Fridays. Looking forward to tackling your questions. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the top spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC. Nick and I are hoping baseball at some point. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me, Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week and make sure to check out the locked on NFL podcast. It is streaming on YouTube five days a week. Also available on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, all major platforms. So make sure to download and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Let's get to our mailbag segment here, Nick. We're going to be alternating some questions. You and I, for this particular mailbag, got a few questions that were specifically outlined for one or the other. And so I always am looking forward to those. This first question is for you, is actually for me here, coming from Hawk Strologer tweets. What do you hope and expect to see out of Colby Parkinson and D. Eskridge next season? Well, I'll start off with Colby Parkinson, and this is just based off what I've seen in the practice field what I saw from Parkinson at Stanford, six foot seven, 265 pounds. He came to camp last year ripped, just looked like a different guy. And the offseason really transformed his body, and he got off to a really fast start. 
he was making big plays seemingly every single day, and then he re-injured his foot. And that set him back. By the time he came back, really never got involved with the passing game. So that is my one thing that I want to see out of Colby Parkinson this year. And it's not all his fault. Shane Waldron is the coordinator. Russell Wilson is the quarterback. Get this six foot seven athletic, soft-handed tight end involved in the passing game. Pete Carroll has praised him for improving as a run blocker. That's great. That's not the strength of his game. Let this guy run downfield. He can stretch the field. He's a red zone threat. I want to see them use him inside the 20-yard line as a true weapon because he should be in the confines of this offense, a lot of 12 personnel. I want to see him bust out as a receiver this season. As for D. Eskridge, I think that the results will be there as long as he can stay healthy. The concussion last season, missing seven games, that's a severe concussion, not something to take lightly at all. You saw little glimpses in the second half of what he can do on jet sweeps and catching his first touchdown against the 49ers in week 13. I want to see Shane Waldron do a better job getting the ball in his hands quickly because this guy has a different skill set than Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Can he win downfield as a vertical threat? Absolutely. He's got sub 4-4 speed, but his ability to break tackles, his contact balance, kind of like a running back at the receiver position, use him like a Debo Samuel light, mix him in the run game, bubble screens, things like that, quick slants, just get the ball to him and let him go to work. That's what I want to see out of him in his sophomore season. If the Seahawks can do that and he can stay on the field, he has a chance to make a huge leap in 2022. Jace tweets, Nick is going to love this question. How are you dealing with the current baseball situation? Well, two words, not well. <laughs> um, I, and For those who follow me on Twitter, I'm are very aware that baseball is my number one love. I love baseball. I grew up playing it before any other sport, watched it, grew up in San Diego, big Padres fan. As you can see behind me, Grogu is donning uh, Padre scarf, and I'm, I'm, I've contemplated ripping it off a few times during the last few weeks uh, out of anger. <laughs> um, Rob Manfred, if you're listening, I know you're not, but there better be, there better be baseball this this spring. It's it's driving me nuts. Uh, not not great, um, especially with football ending. It really and, and it would have helped a little bit if the Kraken were a little better. <laughs> they're, they're also they also stink. So um, that I was looking forward to them kind of bridging the gap there, but. Um, they, they, they're also kind of tough to watch, although it's fun to have a hockey team either way, but, oh, baseball, I, I just, I, I want it back so bad. Not just for Padres, you know, you got Tatis Machado, but you know, Seattle, the Mariners are, are really excited for their future and just baseball. The Blue Jays. The Blue, yeah. I mean, I, I said it over and over again, and I don't want to get in a huge tangent and, and it's the, the Pandora's box has been opened here, but baseball has never been in better hands as far as talent. You got, yeah. Vlad Jr. Bichette. Over in Toronto, you got Tatis, Machado, Acuna, Otani, Soto. I mean, so many great young talent, but they've also never been in worse hands with these owners and this this clown of a commissioner. So, not doing well, Corbin. And I'm I I, I <laughs> not I'm, good, Bob. I'm not doing not well. good. So uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. Fingers crossed that this weekend is great news, and I'll be doing cartwheels in the backyard if it does. Next question here coming from Aaron F. Tweets. Many players make a jump in year two as the game slows down for them. Can we expect a jump in year two of the Shane Waldron scheme? So I think this is more looking at, does the coach have similar jump compared to, say, players? And I think that that's a little tougher to try to compare and contrast because just different roles. But Shane Waldron had never been a play caller in the NFL or at the college level. And so I do think compared to 
say maybe a coach that had been an offensive coordinator at the college level before, even had some experience at the NFL level, he was extremely inexperienced. And so year two, I think you saw him make some major strides down the stretch when this offense started to click. Having a healthy Russell Wilson, of course, helps. Having a healthy Rashad Penny, of course, helps. But that offense looked totally different the last six weeks of the season. And so that would give me a reason for optimism to believe that Shane Waldron was coming into his own, figuring things out as a play caller, understanding how to maximize his players' strengths. I mentioned earlier Parkinson and Eskridge, two players that I'd like to see major improvements in that regard. I think he's going to have a better feel for the players he has. And by default, that is going to make this offense better. As long as you can keep players healthy, most notably Russell Wilson, then absolutely he's got a great chance to make a leap in year two as a play caller. And this offense has a chance to get back in the top five of the NFL in scoring next season. Abashi Cunningham tweets, I know it's not a position of need, but would you sign Jarvis Landry on a cheap deal if he would take it? This is certainly a topic we're discussing, and I'm sure that's a name we will bring up again at some point if the Browns end up releasing him. Well, yeah, that'd be my first point is <clears throat> we're going into this, you know, assuming he'll be a free agent, which right now he's not. He's technically still under contract for next year with the Cleveland Browns, but uh, I think everyone is uh, wanting to jump ship in Cleveland and Jarvis Landry is no, no exception there. And I think he may be seeing how his buddy Odell Beckham you know, got out of there and all of a sudden now he's got a Super Bowl ring on his finger. Like, Hey, you know, what about me? So um, but to answer the question one, it, should they sign him? If the, if the Cleveland Browns were to cut him? Yes. They, they should absolutely look into that, kick the tires a little bit. Um, and you say the need's not there. Yeah, I agree that the need, it's not as glaring as other positions in, in uh, on the team, but I, I've been, I'm of the opinion that receiver is absolutely something that the Seahawks do need to address because I, I think there's a growing narrative. And I know, I think it was Joe Buck in, in the Super Bowl that said this, or I forget where, where it started, um, where you're only as good as your third receiver. And that that's kind of a narrative that's become popular in the last couple of weeks and couple of months. And I believe that's true, at least on offense. Obviously, your whole team. But on offense, I, I think that's starting to become true. And, you know, when the Rams' third-best receiver is Odell Beckham Jr. before Robert Woods went down, that's a pretty darn good third receiver. Um, and right now, that receiver for the Seahawks is Freddie Swain. So, no, no offense to him. But I, either he needs to make a big jump, or like you mentioned with D. Eskridge, needs to make a big jump there. Um, but I just worry about the price, price range, too. Because um, I, I think that Jarvis Landry, if he were to become a free agent would command some some money that I think the Seahawks aren't comfortable with paying. I, I don't think they want to, they don't want to pay for a receiver that's probably looking to be paid like a number two wide receiver, I'd say. And uh, the Seahawks, we, we, we know how the Seahawks operate by now. That's, that's just not going to happen. So really, I think the interest would be there, but I think there would be a difference in price. And I think the Seahawks would, uh, would balk and, and not do that. Next question here from Kid Andy 24 Do you expect DK Metcalf and Jamal Adams to be ready for OTAs considering their recent surgery? So I'm not a doctor. I don't have any updates on these two players. Based on what we were told last month by Pete Carroll, I mean, DK Metcalf's already in his walking boot. From what I've gathered, that's a surgery that he's going to be able to come back from fairly quickly. He should be ready for training camp. He'll probably be ready for OTAs, to be honest. Jamal Adams coming off a labrum tear injury, the second straight year he's had shoulder surgery. They are going to be very cautious about when they get him back on the field. We'll know more at the Combine when Pete Carroll and John Schneider speak with the media. So 
I can't really give an update concretely on that one. If I had to make a guess, I would expect both players are going to be more than ready for training camp. But Adams would be the one that I would at least watch closely because this was a significant injury, and it's the second straight year that he had shoulder surgery. We'll know more here in the next week. Again, Carol and Schneider will be speaking at Indianapolis next week. And last question here real quick. This is a good one. Terry tweets, Corbin and Nick, you get to watch one Seahawks game on TV with the broadcast team of your choice. Who do you pick? I'm going to leave this floor to you first, Nick. What would be your dream broadcast team if you were at home and you had one Seahawks game to watch? Well, well, you got you got to go play-by-play, color, and sideline reporter. Um, I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path for play-by-play and go to a different sport. We just talked about it on um, baseball. Don Orsillo is the current Padres play-by-play guy for Fox or Valley Sports San Diego. Of course you go Padres. But, you know, he used to be Red Sox. During the Red Sox heyday, he was the guy. He was the play-by-play guy. And they were so mad that he went to San Diego that the Red Sox let him go. He's also um, on Saturdays, uh, uh, TBS and Fox uh, main guy. He's kind of like the Aaron Goldsmith kind of kind of area where he calls some national games. But just his energy, he's hilarious. And with on Padres broadcast with, with Mark Grant, uh, the color guy for the Padres, they are just they're they're like your funny that that funny uncle that you'd love you'll love having over for dinner all the time because you know he's gonna say something silly and and maybe not off color but you know just kind of makes you laugh and like is he supposed to be saying that on TV? That's Don Arcillo, but in in the best way. He's just a good guy, really funny, and welcome to Slam Diego. Like he just gets so excited, he like <laughs> loses his mind. Um, so him calling a football a Seahawks game with how the Seahawks play and how they just never can never not play an interesting football game for better or for worse. He would be fantastic um, for that. So I'll, I'll go Don Orsillo there. If you don't know who I'm talking about, look him up. He's a, he's a blast on Twitter too. He's always doing Don meat Twitter. He's always posting meat cooking questions and pictures. But I am, um, as far as my color guy, I am a huge fan. I've only watched about two or three of his games. Robert Griffin, the third is phenomenal. He is a phenomenal color analyst. I, I I'm, I've every time, I've watched his game. I just feel the energy oozing out of my TV from him, his passion for his love for the game. And I, I think that's infectious. And I, I love that. And he's also extremely intelligent. So he's an easy, easy watch for, for Cullen. Him feeding off of Don Arcilla's energy. Oh, man, that my TV might explode. And then for sideline report, you got to go with the classics. You got to go with with uh, one of the best in the biz, Aaron Andrews. Uh, maybe give her a maybe, – maybe don't pair her up with uh, Richard Sherman again. But... <laughs> Uh, but she's, you know, the best in the biz. She's a class act. She knows what she's doing. So she'll, she'll, she'll do all the right things. So those three, I think, for for different reasons, would be a fantastic team. Yeah, this question stemmed from the fact that I actually answered this on social media today. There was a question floating around from a radio host in Houston that asked the same question, and I'm going to go with the same answers because this would be my dream. I think the FCC would have some major issues with it, but. For my play-by-play, I got to go with the caffeine pill is what I call him. That's Gus Johnson. I have never seen a guy that gets so excited, so out of control, going up top, touchdown, loses his mind. Like a guy could just fall on his side on the field and he would find a way to make it sound exciting. That's that's Gus Johnson. And I just, I love everything he announces. He could do a dog show and I would probably stay tuned in. He's fantastic. For the color commentator, you went with RG3. I'm going with Marshawn Lynch, man. I got to get me some beast mode. Him and Gus Johnson, the amount of energy and, and the unpredictability, that's what would make it so exciting. Like, I can picture, you know, a touchdown throw from Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett, 
and you could just maybe see uh, Gus Johnson going pure and getting super excited, and then Marshawn Lynch. He's about, all about that F and action, boss. <laughs> and then FCC gets coming in. Okay, we're going down. And to the Jerry FCC's Miller got because, the sweaty button. We got to make sure that we don't have anything else said here. And I just think it would, you know, maybe Amazon could do that for their Thursday package, and maybe the FCC won't be quite as. Uh, prickly about it but TV that would be broadcast. my dream to see that broadcast crew i think jen mueller does a fantastic job covering mm-hmm. seahawks games and cracking games so she would be my pick locally keep keep some local flavor there with her and marshawn lynch and of course gus johnson captain energy the caffeine pill himself that would be just a, a really fun entertaining broadcast crew that i would love to see for one game if possible all right it's free agency friday gonna slide right into the discussion here nick we've been talking divisions the last several weeks and how we've been doing this we're looking at one specific division each friday and for all four teams you and i are discussing a free agent a pending free agent that we think would be a good fit for the seattle seahawks today we're doing the afc south and If you followed the NFL this year, you know the AFC South was the worst division in the NFL last year. Two of the worst teams in the league were in the same division. And so normally you don't get good free agents from teams like that. So let's start with the Houston Texans because reading through this list, Nick, I was having a very hard time finding anyone that I was like, you know, that guy might make some sense in the Seahawks uniform next year. It was extremely difficult. Maybe the toughest that we've had so far in this simulation. Ooh, and that speaks, you know, volumes of the where the Houston Texans are as an organization. You know, it could be worse, Seahawks fans. It could be worse. Um, as far as the guy I, I'm, I'm selecting from the Houston Texans uh, free agency pool, I'm going to go Malik Collins, the, the defensive tackle. Two and a half sacks, nine tackles for loss, seven quarterback hits as an interior defensive lineman. And he's not even 27 years old, pretty young. Um, guy you can pair with Puna Ford. That's a pretty darn uh, good athletic interior line. Um, before he had a rough 2020, it seemed like he just wasn't a good fit in Las Vegas for some reason, because in every other year besides that, he's actually av- averaged three and a half sacks per year um, besides that season in Las Vegas. So he, he, you know he's, he's good for a few sacks from the interior, which is it's nice to, to be able to at least count on you know three, four sacks from your interior defensive lineman. So um, obviously not a guy that's going to blow you off the page, not going to be a perennial pro bowl or anything like that, but a solid option, I think, it's, and especially from Slim Pickens. Uh, I'll take a, a quality defensive lineman. I looked at a few players in the list and thought, eh, you know, maybe this player, Desmond King, the corner, for example, would make some sense. But I don't see Seattle spending big bucks in an outside corner. So I'm going to go with a familiar name. We know that Ethan Posick's been the center the last two years, and he replaced Justin Britt. Justin Britt was out of the league in 2020, came back last year, was the starter for the Texans, and he was one of the few bright spots for Houston in the middle of their line. Still not a super old player by any means. He's now into his early 30s, but we know that Russell Wilson has a good rapport with Justin Britt. We know that when he was healthy, he was a top 15 center, and we know that he gets after it in the run game. So if the Seahawks want to make an upgrade there, I don't think Justin Britt's going to be expensive to bring back. That would be a reunion that I would actually be somewhat in favor of if you can't get a better name in free agency. This draft class has some talent in the center position, but it's not a deep group. And they could still draft a center. You could sign Justin Britt and say, hey, you're going to compete against a rookie or against Ethan Posick for that starting job. It gives you more flexibility. And so 
not that I'm necessarily saying this is the move I want to make, but when you look at the Houston Texans free agency list, that would make the most uh, sense. And the Seahawks could do far worse at center than bringing back Justin Britt, who did a fine job the several seasons he was a starter there. Now let's shift away from the Texans to a team that really wasn't any better. Used to be the fighting Urban Myers until they fired Urban Meyer. The Jacksonville Jaguars finished the year with the worst record in the league. The number one draft pick for a second straight season. They got a new coach coming in, Doug Peterson, who won the Super Bowl with the Eagles. So they're hoping he can turn things around quickly. I actually found that there were more intriguing options on Jacksonville's free agent list, though, than the Houston Texans. I agree, definitely. Um, a guy that I actually have uh, tabbed as one of my top free agent wide receivers the Seahawks should target is DJ Chark. I, I, I'm, I have a pretty high opinion of him. Um, it, it, it might People might scratch their heads at first, but when you look at the guy, you know, his, his season, he kind of fell by the wayside this year with a, with a fractured ankle. So in a quick end of his year in week four, but 2019 had over a thousand yards for the Jaguars over a thousand yards. So he's overcome. I know he had uh Minshew mania and there, but uh, he's overcome some, some mediocre at best quarterback play to be a pretty productive. So imagine what he could do a fully healthy DJ Chark with a Russell Wilson um, as far as, and him being your third best wide receiver, you could do a lot worse than DJ Chark as your number three wide receiver. Um, so a thousand yard receiver that like that. And he's also, um, to the best of my research, the guy, uh, he was the top 40 time at the combine among receivers for the 2018 draft. So he's Nobody speedy. loves the speed. Yeah. He, he loves the speed and he's already, he's already produced a thousand yard season and he's still pretty young. So sign me up for DJ Chark. Yeah. I think that the expense for that would be probably too much for the Seahawks to be able to absorb, especially with Metcalf needing an extension, but coming off injury, maybe a one-year prove it deals in line for him to show he's healthy. If that's the case, then yeah, I'm on board. Now some fans are going to laugh with my pick. I'm actually going to go with Tavin Bryant, who was a first round pick four years ago for the Jaguars, a defensive tackle out of Florida, six, five, around 298 pounds, ran a four, eight, eight 40. So this guy's really athletic. That did not translate to production, though. He was a bust for Jacksonville, and everybody's going to think the last bust we signed from Jacksonville, Luke Jokel, that ended up being a disaster. Here's the difference, though. You wouldn't be signing Tavin Bryan believing that guy is going to start for us. He's going to be an impact player. They signed Luke Jokel believing he's going to be one of our starting offensive linemen, and they gave him $8 million. You're not going to do that with Tavin Bryan, but if you could bring him in on a one-year prove-it deal for like $1.5 million, this is a guy that had 25 quarterback pressures three years ago. There have been flashes. That athleticism has turned into some pass rushing production. Not a lot of sats, not a lot of quarterback hits, but he's been able to create pressures. And so if you could bring in a guy like that, you took a chance on Robert Gimdiche last year. Why not look at Tavin Bryan, who is still a very young player around 25 years old? Maybe he just needs a change of scenery. There are occasionally players like that where it works out. And you've got Clint Hurd as your defensive coordinator. You've got a good assistant defensive line coach in Seattle. They know how to coach up their DTs. So I would love to see that matchup and see if they could unearth some of that potential that Jacksonville wasn't able to unearth out of this guy. If they can, he can be a functional rotational rusher to go with. Hopefully Al Woods coming back, Puna Ford, and Brian Monet at a pretty cheap cost. And if it really pans out, you might have just walked yourself into a guy that can be a part of your future as well. So that, to me, would be a gamble that's worth taking. Now let's go to the team that finished second in the division and somehow missed the playoffs. Now they're talking about trading Carson Wentz. The Indianapolis Colts, 
they have a number of free agents that intrigue me looking at Seahawk possibilities. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go for a need too, and that's Matt Pryor, uh, offensive tackle. He, he played guard with the Eagles before arriving uh, with uh, before arriving to, to Indianapolis, and played ended up playing both tackle spots for the Colts. I think he had four starts at right tackle, one start at left tackle, and a 76.5 overall Pro Football Focus grade, so very solid grade. Uh, and Pro Football Focus gave him pretty favorable grades in pass blocking and and run blocking, 75.2, 74.8. Uh, respectively, zero sacks allowed and six penalties. And um, in, in those, in in five, he played in I believe 15 games and five starts. So, or, sorry, all 17 games and five starts. And so, I just like his his versatility. And I think at worst, he's maybe you know your George Fant swing tackle kind of guy. And at, at best, and you know, high your ceiling, he's probably maybe your starting right tackle. He's he's a pretty solid option there at right tackle. Um, maybe not, you know, your franchise cornerstone left tackle kind of guy, but he's put up some good numbers and been solid enough to where he, I think he deserves a shot. If you bring him in, deserves a shot to compete for that right tackle spot. And really, um, with an, with Dwayne Brown and Brandon, Shea, you know, you got a lot of, a lot of turmoil and moving pieces around both tackle spots in Seattle. And I think Matt Pryor could bring at least a little bit of stability, if not, maybe not all pro, but certainly some stability to one of those tackle spots. I was thinking about this from a hedge standpoint because the Colts have some really good hedges for Seattle's free agents that are going to be hitting the market, and one of those being Rashad Penny. If somehow Rashad Penny gets a deal that's outside of Seattle's price range and leaves, Marlon Mack was a 1,000-yard rusher a couple years ago. He's only 25 years old. They ended up drafting Jonathan Taylor, who's become a superstar, and coming off a severe injury, Mack hardly played this last year, was a healthy scratch, a number of games. There was talk they might trade him for the deadline. Nothing happened. 210 pounds, a little lighter than Seattle's typically preferred, but this guy's dynamic when healthy. If he passes his physical, you sign him on a one-year deal that's affordable with some incentives, that might be a really good hedge for Rashad Penny. And then Mo Cox, the tight end, I obviously love him from his VCU days. I follow VCU basketball very closely. He was an outstanding shot blocker and rebounder. I just love the way he played the game. He's turned into a very good run blocker playing in the NFL. Got a 71 grade from Pro Football Focus as a run blocker last year. That was in the top six. So he has turned into an elite run blocking tight end. Had a career high four touchdowns last year. His rebounding ability in basketball translates well. I think he would be an interesting tight end to add to Seattle's group, especially if they lose Everett and or Disley. So those are two names to keep an eye on. I don't know that either one of them will be on Seattle's radar necessarily, but they would be good fits at two positions that could be areas of need. And real quick, the division champions, the Tennessee Titans, they've got a couple of really big name free agents. They have some potential salary cap issues they're going to be dealing with. So maybe a good player or two hits the market from Tennessee that Seattle might have some interest in. Yeah, I think that there's a, there's two really big ones here, and then it goes, there's a pretty big drop-off for me, at least. Um, I did think about Harold Landry, of course, and 12 sacks, Pro Bowl, but I, I think most people can will will assume that he's probably going to get the franchise tag at worst, yeah. as extension at best. I think Tennessee would be extremely stupid to let him go. So um, I, I'd love to have him on the Seahawks, obviously, but um, I'll go ahead and go with uh, one of the tight ends. You know, it was the same, same kind of hedge. In case you do lose Gerald Everett and Will Disley and, and don't get to re-sign them or one or both, um, they have three tight ends: uh, Anthony Ferkser, uh, Jeff Swaim, and uh, Michael Pruitt. Michael Pruitt actually caught three touchdowns despite limited action and limited 
uh, limited snaps. So one of those three tight ends. Um, so they, they, the, the, the Titans themselves are, are producing quite a healthy uh, crop of tight ends for you. If you if you lose Everett and, and, uh, and Disley. So, cause the, the tight end market is definitely saturated. I do hope they bring back Everett and Disley, but if not, Titans are a place where you could find three options for replacements. I'm going back to the center position. Ben Jones is one of my favorite centers in the league. Now he's going to be 33 early in the season. So he is not a spring chicken. He's a little older player, but in 10 NFL seasons with the Texans and Titans, he has had one year that he has graded lower than a 70 run blocker from pro football focus. He had an 81 score last year. A big part of the reason that Derrick Henry has been able to amass the yards that he has the last three or four years has been because of the physicality of Ben Jones in the middle. I think he'd bring much needed toughness to Seattle's offensive line. I don't know necessarily that he fits the scheme stuff that they're wanting to do. We don't know how, how zone oriented it's going to be without Mike Solari. Maybe it'll still be the similar mesh of gap and zone concepts we saw last year just with Dickerson taking over as the offensive line coach. It could be much more pure zone oriented. It doesn't matter to me. Ben Jones would be on my short list of centers that I think would be a major upgrade. Maybe doesn't break the bank because of his age, but he's a quality player. He's never been a pro bowler, but he has been a top 10 center for a number of years that fits what the Seahawks like to do as a run blocker. He has been a quality pass protector, not elite, but quality. A couple of years he scored really well from PFF. So I would love to see Ben Jones coming in as the pivot position player for the Seahawks as their new starting center. We'll see what ends up happening on that front. There are some fun free agents in the center position. Hopefully the Seahawks won't sit pat this time around. Thanks as always for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to check out the Locked on NFL Draft Podcast as your second listen. Brian Tracy and former NFL corner Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with inside analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Nick at NickLee51. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, five days a week, streaming on video on YouTube. We'll be back next week. It'll be another Mock Draft Monday. Rob and I will be diving into all the mock drafts that are out there. I'm sure there'll be at least one that's got a Russell Wilson trade. Joy, can't wait to talk about that. I'm sure you can sense the sarcasm in my voice there. And it'll be Makeover Monday. We'll be looking at a roster-related topic heading into free agency and the draft. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Go Hawks.